Welcome to the Product Podcast, brought to you by Product School. Here, you'll get fresh insight from the people at the very top of the tech companies who make the products we love. Remember, you can learn product management live online. Visit productschool.com to discover our new certificate path. There, you can also join the world's largest community of PMs and network with the leaders from these podcasts at our online events. There's something happening almost every day. Hello, and thanks for joining this uh, session. We are going to discuss about trade-offs and prioritization in product management. Uh, my name is Kalyan, Kalyan Banerjee. I work as a senior product manager in Amazon. So trade-offs is a part and parcel of any product management work. And they are critical to us because of various reasons. One of them being the kind of constraints that we have, including the resources, timelines, the capabilities of our teams. Uh, it can also be a trade-off based on the feasibility of an implementation, on something you can do or you cannot, right? But most often than not, the trade-off is based on a priority. Uh, what is important right now versus what is not. Right? Let's take an example to understand scenarios where uh, as a product manager, you have to make a trade-off. Uh, let us say you're building a solution to reduce storage cost in a global supply chain product, which delivers goods from China to the US. You need to start a pilot in next two to three quarters, which is about six, and six to nine months. And uh, you have a couple of options in which you can kind of like have a different storage to what you have today, right? To reduce the cost. Maybe you have uh, an option to build an intermediate storage at the source in China where real estate is uh, cheaper compared to the US. You will park your goods temporarily over there uh, based on the lead time and so that you know you don't have uh, you don't have to store it in in the US for long right but that requires complicated regulatory clearance working with the government which may take time. The second option you may have is building a supplementary storage in the US uh, with probably some old or remote warehouses, which does not have a lot of automation capabilities, maybe difficult to reach and so on. And therefore the, the cost of that real estate is lower. Right? So you have these two options. Now, uh, how do you decide between these two? And this is a classic scenario of a trade-off. Right. So this will totally depend on what you are trying to accomplish. So you can go for option one if you believe that there will be several of these intermediate storage locations in the long term and finding too many of these US based warehouses, which is like old remote low cost uh, is going to be difficult. Therefore, it's probably worth investing in the regulatory work in China, work with the government, get those approvals, even if that takes longer. You're probably going to miss the deadline, but you at least have a more longer term solution. We can take the second option though. Um, if you think that, you know, you're not very sure about how big this will go, you need a proof of concept first, and then you need to move quickly for that proof of concept. Uh, all this regulatory work will slow you down. So why not probably take one or two warehouses in the US, see how the cost reduction actually is working. And then, you know, at the end of the day, if this works out well, then you invest more time, more resources, even more work uh, to, to get the government clearance for, uh, for a Chinese warehouse. Uh, so in this scenario, as you could see, a product manager makes an informed choice, uh, but has his or her North Star 
very well aligned on what the objective is. And this is how, in general, we make trade-offs in product management. Uh, through the rest of this presentation, so I'll, I'll go through different pitfalls and, and prioritization scenarios where you can see how we make this kind of trade-offs in the real world uh, cases. So let's keep moving. So one of the things, especially in Amazon, we, we see as a classic pitfall of trade-offs is the one-way door versus a two-way door. Uh, you, you'd see even Jeff Bezos mentioned this in many of his uh, talks uh, and speeches about product thinking and business management. And let me start by explaining what does this mean? Like one-way door is generally uh, a very irreversible kind of a stand that you take. Uh, nothing actually is irreversible, but it's very, very difficult for you to uh, reverse that particular decision. Right. It can be related to uh, your customer trust, uh, can be related to a huge amount of sunk cost. If you especially in a startup scenario, it can also be a lot of time wastage and, and, th and those kind of things. Two way door are more nimble, flexible mechanisms where you take a decision, experiment with it for a while, and then you can move on to a different decision or reverse decision altogether if that is what you want to do. So when you when you when you are at a situation where you have to take this sort of a one-way door decision where the, the reversal of that particular decision will be very complicated, you need to be doubly sure about your decision, right? So let's take an example. Let's take a scenario where a trading platform that is working with different institutional clients for day trading or any kind of financial trading, they need to decide whether they should keep on investing in both mobile and web-based channels. In general, maintaining feature parity across two channels is quite expensive, quite cumbersome, and you need to have uh, both product and tech thinking around how both of these will work, right? Just having a responsive UI is not always the right way of it. So to make this decision, they look at the data, and they find that 95% of their trades are coming from the web-based channel, right? So apparently pretty easy decision, like most of our business come from the web-based channel, let's keep that going, and then we can deprecate the mobile UI. Now, they go ahead and take that particular path. After the deprecation, about three months go by, there's no impact on trades, and everything looks good, right? Now, what happens is after a while, it starts showing that it's becoming more and more difficult for them to onboard new clients, right? And even the existing clients start thinking if their computer products are actually better. Now, why would that happen? It can be a scenario where the executives of these institutional traders use the app for monitoring the trades. They're not actually using the uh, portal in either mobile or uh, the web platform to execute the trades, but the fact that they are able to see it on the go and they are probably using some other medium to communicate with the traders on the floor uh, to execute the trades, that particular part is very essential and critical for the business. Right. And there can be other situations where, you know, more the businesses are evolving. Uh, we see that mobile is becoming uh, a mechanism to 
run the business. Uh, we, we also see sometimes software engineers are using mobile or mobile type platforms like iPads to, to write codes, right? I mean, that's how it is. And that may not catch up immediately, but in the long run, this might, might become a challenge. Many Asian countries, depending on how big your expansion plans are, uh, India, China, these countries are much bigger on mobile over desktop. So when you think about the decision, you need to think about the repercussions in a much more longer or longer term or a bigger horizon so that you don't take a decision that is very difficult to reverse. Like in this scenario, if you have to bring back the mobile application, right, it may actually take you a higher investment than maintaining it through. Because you have to, first of all, drive adoption of it altogether again, maybe build another UI so, so that it looks better than what it was before. And basically, you get into a situation where you know, reversing this decision is quite complicated. So this is a classic pitfall of a trade-off scenario, which we as product managers should be aware of. Let's keep moving, right? So we talked about uh, priority or prioritization being one of the biggest levers of uh, making trade-offs. So if you think about it, right, any trade-off actually is a prioritization decision. And in this case, actually, you do not prioritize one over the other. You actually probably discard one of the options. Uh, it can be a scenario you park it, uh, which is a classic prioritization problem. But sometimes as a part of the trade-off, you just actually discard the last option or the least priority options, right? So when you take such decisions, in an ideal scenario, you would think that you know you will have data, you will take uh, into account uh, certain business judgments and decide like you know what is the right way to do in an informed fashion. But that is generally not the case. You will probably have to prioritize without the data. But let's look at the scenario where you prioritize with the data. So think about a scenario where you are enhancing the features of a blogging site. Uh, it's a new site. Uh, some of you have you've started off uh, with a niche customer segment. They're using your site for various reasons. Now you want to take it one notch higher, right? You, you want to build um, a very intricate grammar check so that, that that's basically aiding the, the writings of the, the bloggers there, right? You can add some photo editing features to uh, your blogging site. Um, use some APIs from some of the open source systems and, and have that. Also, you can bring in like multi-language support where some sort of vernacular languages can be used for blocking on your website. Now, in this particular scenario, you will see that you'll probably get a good amount of data if you dive deep well into the market, right? You'll probably be able to run some surveys, um, with, with the bloggers, you'll probably get some secondary market research data, you'll probably be even able to get some competitor analysis done, right? And also you can make a trade-off based on resource availability. If you like, you only have resources for um, building one feature that too at a very, very rudimentary level, then probably pick the easiest one to develop not even think about like what what uh, what is the uh, the research saying the market research saying uh, if if you want to build a feature uh, the other features you can do that later right but the, the the essential point here is that for this scenario getting data points are relatively easier and 
most of these decisions are uh, irreversible. So uh, maybe you start with a grammar check, you see that the grammar check is actually throwing the people off. They want to use like probably um, grammatically incorrect statements in their blog and it's becoming annoying. You just either take the feature down or, or have an option to turn it down uh, or turn it off. So those kind of things can be can be executed as a part of the product strategy and and this should not have a very big impact on your you know, product uh, product roadmap let us look at a scenario where you probably have difficulty in getting the data right and in those scenarios what you generally do is use a lot of judgment about your uh, business thinking product thinking and also in some cases use customer anecdotes right customer anecdotes uh, are not exactly data points it's like what you hear from the customers when you engage with them and i'll get to that in, in just a second but think about the business judgment scenario right let us say you're building public apis for a shipping company that basically ships goods from china to the us or any any part of the world and they have like different features that they uh, that they provide over the ui it can be new bookings uh, freight tracking uh, purchasing freight insurance and also giving you an, an idea of what is the list of ongoing freights that you have with this particular company right and and several other features so just an example now you want to pilot the APIs, right? You will not be able to build all of these features straight away. So you have to think about which one would you choose, right? And to do that, you may not have all the data available. And here are four scenarios where um, you might face certain challenges, right? Like your existing customers may not be the target market. Your potential customers may not be very easy to get information from. Your competitors may not even have the APIs, depending on what, what scale you're operating. Uh, and you cannot necessarily go with the highest used UI features because the channels of UI and APIs are essentially very different. So what you have to think about is like, take a business judgment call in terms of what is the right thing to do here. For example, you can decide on a potential target market, which requires some judgment. Then you can think about a one to two year horizon, not very far ahead because it's a pilot. And then you can also start engaging with some early adopters because you, you need certain validation of your APIs are working or not. And then based on their requirement, at least, you start tailoring your uh, pilot API features. Right. So in this scenario, you did not actually go ahead and use a lot of market research data, but you just used a certain business judgment and also took certain decisions based on which you are uh, deciding on the path forward for product prioritization. And you will see that this is probably the more common of the scenarios that you will get uh, because getting data is, while it's very ideal, it's always very difficult as well. And also, thinking about the right data to gather it requires judgment by itself right so let's keep moving the other thing we can use is about is customer anecdotes uh, now this is slightly tricky than the other ways of making trade-offs because the customer knows intrinsically what he or she needs but may not be able to articulate well Right. So, so think about uh, an example where you are building a self-service registration portal for an online gaming company. 
right? You survey 50 gamers or as many gamers as you can from your target market. And then, you know, as a part of the question, some of them say that, you know, they don't want to answer a lot of personalization info uh, to be provided as a part of the registration because it just takes a longer time and uh, it's just unnecessary, right? We can, we can fill it up later. But they also say that their personalization is very critical for their gaming experience, right? So basically what they're saying is, I don't want to fill it up at the SSR level, but from the first day that I'm starting to play games on your platform, I would like that uh, personalization to kick in, right? This is where you as a PM need to decide like how much is enough? How much information should I ask at the SSR that it doesn't become very complicated, multiple steps, time consuming, because then, then the gamers will drop off. They're generally very impatient kind of target segment. And the also, you do not want to be very abstract, just the user ID, password, and credit card probably, because if you do that, then there is no sense of personalization and, and you will not be able to create that stickiness with your product that you wanted to actually build. And, and that is very critical for, for you if you are at a startup mode, right? So this is where as a PM, you should think it through, use some of the judgments that you have and, and also use uh, some of the anecdotes that you can get from the customers, maybe not only from the survey, but also from directly engaging with them and then making a trade-off decision, right? Uh, probably even build a mock UI and put it in front of a customer and say that, hey, this does look good to you. Right, so that is uh, specifically how we make some trade-offs. But in the real-world scenario, there is another piece that we as product managers face, and that is like we were asked to scenario, right? Uh, leaders, maybe two or three levels above you, uh, or even more senior, sometimes make some trade-offs which directly impact your products, and you have to make that trade-off given the constraints that your leadership has defined for you. This is where, as a PM, you need to be very upfront while asking questions and pushing back. Because if you don't do that, and if you can foresee certain repercussions on your product strategy, product roadmap, adoption, and so on, then you are setting yourself up for failure and your product as well, right? And that is where, as a PM, you should back your instincts on what is the right thing to do, ask hard questions, and unless and until you are satisfied that the trade-off that the leaderships have made are the right thing to do, you should not let it go. Obviously, it depends on where you are, what sort of culture you're, you're in, in terms of your company and work, but essentially what I'm saying is, Acknowledge that there is an impact of a top-down decision and uh, ensure that you are aligned with it, at least at an execution level, so that you don't regret listening to somebody, right? So, so that is probably the key takeaway that even I have used in my career. And I would strongly recommend everybody thinking that through and, and taking that approach. As I end this particular session, I think we all realize that trade-off is a part and parcel of not only product management, but also our real life scenarios, right? So I'll end with a quote from Thomas Sowell, an American economist, 
um, where he says that trade-offs have been with us ever since the late unpleasantness in the Garden of Eden, right? So from the beginning of life that we have been think uh, this trade-off has been a part of it and we will live with it and we will have to live with it. So the best way of thinking about it is, is that uh, don't only think about an ideal scenario. Know that there will be trade-offs necessary and prepare yourself, build mechanisms in your own ways to, to create frameworks so that you're able to circumvent scenarios which are not so ideal for yourself. So thank you very much. If you have any questions or if you'd like to contact me, please feel free to do so. Thank you for listening to the product podcast. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. For more product insights, head over to productschool.com.